0: All right, so this is just a complete blast from my past, everybody. I'm talking to my former employer, Terrence Quinn, the mighty entrepreneur, firefighter, restaurant owner, nightclub pioneer, uh, who I had the good fortune of working the door for his club, Peggy Sue's, back in the, what was it? The mid 80s, late 80s? Late 80s, yes, 87 to uh,
1: 91.
0: It, it, it was like Gatsby's Green Light, and all these beautiful leggy models and actresses were just...
1: Would pack in there. It was such a dive, and I try to describe it to people that... I mean, I have people said, I'd pay $90,000 just to have two more nights at Peggy Sue's. Like, that's how much they loved it. I would say we were, for what we were, we had, like, the best crowd you could ever have.
0: No doubt. So, you grew up in Brooklyn? Yes. Nine siblings?
1: Nine brothers and three sisters.
0: Where do you fall in the pecking order?
1: I'm the fifth from the top.
0: That's too many children.
1: No, not not really. Listen, we have a bad, uh, a depopulation problem now, so. Uh...
0: <laughs> well, we had a little COVID. I don't know how people are.
1: Problem- uh, you know, it's, uh, COVID's one year. Uh, we, this has been going on uh, for quite some time, but that's for another podcast, I guess.
0: And okay, so you grew up in Brooklyn. Your father was an insurance salesman?
1: He was a claims guy for an insurance company, but he was like kind of the head of these claims departments of uh, ins- big insurance companies back then.
0: Okay, so when you were growing up, what was it expected that you were going to become?
1: Well, it, it wasn't that goal-driven thing. I mean, some of my brothers were kind of, one was good in school, uh, but most of them half-assed. Nobody was that bright, but like they're all very successful, which is kind of, it's one of those lessons you learn. As time passes, you see uh, people think that some kind of school or some kind of ed- education guarantees a, a great job, a great career or something. And then you see something uh, completely different. Then you realize that every industrialist didn't even have a, an eighth grade education and they built these empires. So it depends on what people want. And not to say that making a lot of dough is what, <laughs> is what your goal should be, but they've all been very financially successful. Um, I, you know, my father, he wanted you to go to school. He thought he was old fashioned. He thought education meant that thing. One guy's a doctor, um, three or four of them worked on wall street. They did very well. They still, they still do it, but it's a different world. And, uh, one guy was a cop, one brother, and my oldest brother has his own claims business, a very, uh, very successful claims business.
0: So a degree does not necessarily equate to a fabulous career and success. I think in your family, I would imagine the values of good old-fashioned hard work, grit, and scrappiness.
1: But it wasn't pushed. It was it, you know, I, we talk about it now because we look at young people and we see it, the difference between young people today and young people back then. And we just wanted to have jobs to have pocket money. And if you're motivated by material things, which is kind of the that's you know, the basic need. You now I want to have my own clothes. I want to go someplace. I want to buy a bike or something. You you would work for it. So that translated into, I guess, as an adult, you had those same that same thought pattern, you know.
0: So right after high school then, what did you do prior to opening up Peggy
1: Sue's? My brother got me a job. Uh, I was an electrician when I was 20 years old. I got in there and uh, I did that for a few years. And I thought I was gonna get called by the police. I was getting called by the police department. I took a police test. And when they called me, I, my brother's boss, said, oh, don't let him do that, man. He's, he's got too much personality. Have him come work with us. So I went and worked on Wall Street. And they had their own hedge fund. Everybody had, like, starting their own hedge funds back then. My brother Kelly was a partner. Yeah, and I did that for a few years until I opened up the nightclub.
0: So how did you and Patrick Fahey get the idea to open up Peggy Sue's? Like, where did that idea even come from? <laughs>
1: Fahey and I talked one day, you know, he and I went, we were from Brooklyn, we went to high school together, Pat Fahey, Uh, we had a stupid idea to open a nightclub, we just thought we were so fucking popular that we would, uh, that that would, there's no way this isn't going to make it, you know, (laughs) so, um, and with dumb luck, you know, it was really just the right time, the right place, the right kind of people.
0: But it seems like you and Patrick really had your finger on the pulse of what was New York at that time. Um, for me, my years in New York City was a time. It wasn't necessarily a place. And for me, Peggy Sue's really captured that. It was right before the club kids kind of made everything a little bit dark, and you know they went down a totally different role with what New York nightlife was. But right. the, but Peggy Sue's was just. It was like the epicenter of what being young and in new york and in greenwich village was it was just i think it, i think peggy seuss was for the 80s what you know basquiat and all those artists were in the late 70s early 80s i think you just you really captured a moment
1: yeah i agree i my my thoughts about it were that it was it was fun my memories usually like when you look back on something you see all the, the negative things and or i do i'm a but i i thought that that was a great time to have uh, have uh, own a club it was a great time to be in new york it was a great time to know people i enjoyed it and i tell people i said i couldn't really go out to a club after that cuz they really weren't that much fun they weren't that place was fun cuz you you never know who you'd run into yes mm-hmm. somebody was always coming in there was always somebody new to meet And it's almost like the opposite of what happens today. It was a very social time. I got invited to, you know, crazy things, socialite weddings and hot air ballooning with uh, Malcolm Forbes and and all that. Do you remember when he used to come into Peggy Seuss? It was the craziest. He had the office around the corner. And um, he would come in with the craziest, like Phyllis Diller and, and Liz Taylor and... Barbara Walters, he'd come in with these older women. <laughs> it was so crazy. Like, if I wasn't there, he'd talk to my brother. This guy's brother is the guy. Uh, and they would ask questions about me. You know, Barbara Walters would ask questions about me with that voice. With the what is this brother of yours But it was an interesting time. But he invited me and Matt Dillon to go to his castle in Normandy for this, this big party. And they would fly us over in a capitalist tool and we were Casper Weinberger and Walter Cronkite. It was a cr- crazy mix of people. And then when we got there, we'd stay in this castle, very dank room. But you know, during the day, you go hot ballooning across the French countryside and stuff. If I look back, I mean, I feel, I feel lucky, but I feel like, wow, I, I wish a lot of other people could really see all the, the stuff that I saw and all the people that I met. It was, it was, a, it was a nice time to, to do all that.
0: Well, you're legendary, Terry. I mean, if you think about it, you're like the male version of Holly Golightly.
1: <laughs> now, I wouldn't even know that reference, but I did see Breakfast at Tiffany's uh, again uh, recently. So uh, that's funny.
0: You you knew everybody. You were kind of like the flame that all the moths gathered around. and And I always remember I would just sit at the door with my clicker. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to NYU with a degree in philosophy, and I don't even know what I was studying. And I'm like, $5, $5, $5. And oh, funny. I never had so much fun. I mean, I would get, and then I would work the books for you during the day. And I remember I would go to class. I would go to all my lectures in the morning. And then as soon as I was done, I would come to Peggy Sue's. I would do all the books and count all the money and do all whatever I had to do while I was doing homework. Go home, shower, change, and then come back to work the door. And that's I think about is- how
1: crazy, like, but that is that's kind of a full life for a young person. Yes. And you kind of hope your kids could someday have that, that kind of full life, you know?
0: Well, I enjoyed it. I'm the kind of person, I always need to be doing something. I always need to be busy, otherwise it's the idle hands of the devil's workshop. And, and I just remember loving it. And I loved meeting all these new people who would come in and God.
1: And the place was such a dive. Oh,
0: I remember feeling my soles of my shoe would stick. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) Spilling drinks on a warm, hot night. You think our air conditioning stunk. You know, we had those window jobs and people would pack in there and you know, nice people, nice looking people. It was crazy. People would be like, God, like we weren't offering them anything. It wasn't, we didn't give them any glamour. Oh, no. It was just fun. And I think that people liked that, that fun. It was fun. Man. Like I, I enjoyed it. Um,
0: so then you closed Peggy Sue's. Why did Peggy Sue's close?
1: Well, it was... Firstly, it was not a place that was going to be an institution because of the music and the energy there. It's not a place that's going to last forever. It's not like going to Raoul's and you still have the same place from 1979. Right. You can't do that with a nightclub because people are young and they move to the next place all the time. But we, we had, a I guess, a long run for a nightclub. And I had already opened up in 1990 the Falls on Varick and Van Damme.
0: I just finished reading Flash in the Pan, which is all about your, <laughs> the opening of the running of that restaurant, The Falls.
1: It's an old book. Um, I think it's it, w- it was published in 93 or something.
0: I think so. Yes. David Blum.
1: David Blum. Yes.
0: Very interesting writer. He writes uh, in a conversational kind mm-hmm. of Kerouacian uh, stream of conscience way?
1: I think that he had coined the phrase the Brat Pack uh, as the 80s actors. He's the guy who came up with that term.
0: Oh, really? I did not yeah.
1: know. Yeah, David Blum. I guess he was a, a gadfly or something. You know? Okay. But I read that and it, it kind of refreshed my memory about people. And he even left out a lot of people. There was a lot of people that were involved in that place that I don't think he mentioned in the book. He He spent a little time on like a guy that was a startup Barton and he probably wasn't even there a month after we opened.
0: Right. Well, what I find very interesting about you and why I wanted to bring you on to Bootstrap Bitch is because I just remember being this young, you know, 19 year old girl, I was very busy. I was pursuing, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer. I was working for you. And there was always something about your energy and your brother's energy that I found really um, inspiring. You know, you were always upbeat, you were always positive. I knew that you had two small children when you were just in your, like at at the age I was at the time, you had your sons, isn't that right? Yes, yes. Yes, so I always looked up to you and I don't know if I ever told you that, but I always thought, you know, that's what I wanna be. You just had this positivity about you and that you, you just never slowed down. You just kept going even if things got difficult. And you always had a smile on your face. And I always remembered that smile because it was like, how does he do that? And then let's talk about the fact that you're also a fireman. How you got through 9-11 and still you're smiling.
1: Oh, yeah. But I mean, that's a long time ago, 20 years ago, 9-11. And I remember when I first got on the fighter pump, I was in the academy when I had the nightclub. I was in the fire academy and that was kind of a long day you get to the division of training early you do like a few mile run do calisthenics and you're doing drills all day and go into these classes and stuff it was a full day then i'd go into the nightclub It was crazy
0: and raising two small children yes talk about a full day
1: yeah yeah it was a full day it was really um pat used to look at me says i don't know how you do this I don't think it was easy, but I didn't, I, you know, I didn't have any other choice. That's what everybody's doing. And uh, there was a point, two or three years into my career as a fireman, I had Peggy Susan, I had, I had the Falls. And I, I was looking into getting a leave of absence because it was getting a little too much. I had two places going and I had my job at the fire department. So I would go to the firehouse and I talked to the guy, I said, oh no, it's very hard to get a leave of absence. It's gotta be like a, a hardship. So I said, Oh, wow, forget that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I have some kind of hardship to forget that. Uh, But I was getting kind of stressed out with it. So I told this guy who was the chief deputy mayor, Stan Grayson. He was a very good guy. He was a friend of a friend of mine. And we would have dinner every once in a while. And I said, I'm thinking of quitting the fire department. He goes, no, don't quit. He said, no, you were, he said, take a leave of absence. I said, no, it's, it's kind of a pain in the neck. You have, you have to have a good reason. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. Uh, I'll have somebody call you. Don't worry about it. So he has this commissioner call me at home. And, and she said, so when do you want this leave of absence? I said, I'm supposed to go in tomorrow morning. She goes, okay, as of tomorrow morning, you have a, a one year off, a leave of absence. And that was one of those things that I learned about politics. I learned about being on the inside and being on the outside. And uh I'll tell you it's much easier being on the inside in any business in any way because everything else is hard. And I came back and I'm glad I did. And I, I still thank that guy today when I see him for doing that, you know?
0: Yeah, I yeah that I think that would have been foolish for you to have left.
1: Well as it turned out yeah very foolish because you know it was it was a good career to have, you know? Well, and
0: you obviously have the luck of the Irish. Yes, I have. <laughs> you you do, you are your own four-leaf clover.
1: When I look at it, I'm very lucky and uh, I can't complain. Even today, I'm still, you know, it's not perfect. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of problems here and there, but nothing compared to other people, you know?
0: Who doesn't and who wouldn't, and who would listen anyway?
1: Exactly. And you would never change your problems to somebody else's problems, right?
0: No. Not In not any not. way. Now, talk to me a little bit about, you were there on 9-11, correct?
1: I was home uh, on, I was supposed to work the night before. You know, I took a, a personal day the night before because my ex had to go to, back to a, a meeting.
0: Yep.
1: And it was kind of important. So I took a personal day. So I could watch the kids. Uh, these are my younger kids, and and then I dropped them off at school, and then Patty, my ex, saw me, and she said, "A plane crashed into the trade center." Because I don't watch the news or anything in the morning. I don't. I just so uh, I said, "I'm thinking a commuter plane." I said, "How do you fly into the? How do you, you know not see the trade center?" You know, I'm like, "Oh wow!" So we went in, and then. The second plane hit, and then I said, oh, I got to go in. This is crazy. So I, I headed in there. It just like, was like that, boom. Everybody just split. But what, but we went to staging area. Then we went down there. And then we were back and forth there for, you know, months. You know, just everything was crazier. Like, I mean, we didn't have our own rig. I had to go down and get the rig, my fire truck that was down there. They told me where it was. That I'd go down there. And, and I, I think I brought my brother with me, and we knocked all the asbestos and all the shit off, and then started it up, and we were driving uptown and I had one other fireman with me and and all the dust is blown. <laughs> you know, think of all this crap, and we had the flags, and everybody was it was funny, all the people stopping on Eighth Avenue were not traditionally the most patriotic people, but they were all like kind of saluting that you had a flag on your rig so um. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy time, um, but I feel like uh, I didn't do the math and find out what would have where I would have been. In other words, I I would have been working the night before into the next day. I would have worked a twenty four hour shift, and if I was a surplus guy in my house during that morning, it, I would have been detailed to another house. And if I went south, you know, it would have been sketchy. You know, a lot of some guys died. You know. Yeah. And if I went north, that I think we were the last house north in the Manhattan that they called before they stopped calling uh, units. So that was that. But I never did the math, you know. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It is what it is, and you know, like I wasn't there, and I I knew a lot of firemen. It like sixty five firemen I knew, and a, a lot of civilian. I knew a lot of civilians, a lot of uh, Wall Street guys, a lot of neighborhood guys. Yeah. So when you think of uh, Three thousand plus people, and then you know, you know, like uh, one hundred and fifty out of three thousand people, or something, or maybe more. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Well, once again, I think God shined upon you, and you were there to to do the work that you did.
1: Right. Maybe there's well, there's always a reason. Yeah. I guess. I mean, God has a plan. Uh, you know, we may not understand it. I guess, but <laughs> you know, because it's hard to figure out. Um, but um, because we're only human how could we figure out a, a a master plan or a you know what what the reason for everything is
0: but i definitely believe that the older i'm getting i mean like we're old now <laughs> 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 but i do think that you know the older you wouldn't
1: getting... know it by the way i work my no, <laughs> <laughs> i do a lot of stuff man i like i I'm very busy and I'm and we were talking like a few weeks ago when I when I called you and I do a lot of work, of physical work, and I'm surprised I don't get injured. It's bizarre. I don't have any kind of, you know, I don't get sore knees or like a, I don't throw my back. You know, you ever see these guys, oh man, I threw my back out doing something I shouldn't have been doing.
0: I had a knee replacement two years ago. Really? Yeah, a knee replacement on my right knee.
1: Did you really need it?
0: I couldn't, I was flying back and forth to Montreal shooting uh, Blood and Treasure. And when I would come back, I would have to go to the doctor and they would take out fluid out of my knee. Ah. And I was basically bone on bone.
1: Right, 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 yeah.
0: I was always in so much pain, just getting up and down on this right knee. The left is fine, everything's fine. But this right knee, I don't know. I think I might've injured it sometime and didn't know.
1: And how is it now?
0: It's fine, I can run. You know, my goal was to run if chased, so I can run.
1: (laughs) That's pretty funny. I like that.
0: That's That's what I said to the, to my physical therapist. I'm like, here's my goal. I need to be able to run if chased, and I need to be able to go up and down stairs in high heels. If I can do (laughs) that, I'll be happy.
1: That's funny. That's funny. But you're lucky. I mean, except for my. I bout with pneumonia a few weeks ago, but that was bizarre. That
0: was, fun. That was not fun.
1: No, no, I never, um, but I bounced back very quickly. I mean, I, you know, my, as soon as I got out of that stupid hospital, I was off to the races. I knew you just can't let your immune system get, you know, too uh, right. suppressed. And um, I think that's what happened.
0: Yeah. But that's like you, Terry, you're, you know, you, you know pneumonia i will give you a week
1: that's <laughs> that's all i gave it
0: it's, i'll yeah. give you a week and then it's
1: time
0: you have to get back to all the things all your painting all your things that you build you could probably build an addition onto my house right now which i need I <laughs> single-handedly
1: don't put any more money into los angeles you gotta uh, you gotta think someplace else
0: yeah because this place is, it can wear on you. No, no, I know. Well, I just wanna thank you for being on Bootstrap Bitch. I loved seeing you and talking to you. It brings back all these wonderful memories. And I know that the people who are listening are going to take from this that, you know, you can give pneumonia exactly one week and done.
1: That's right, that's it. I love uh, talking to people from the past and I like to be reminded of things that happen
0: Do you have any parting words? No, no. (laughs) So there you have it, folks. Terry Quinn, man of a few words when he's got no more words he wishes to say. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Gosh, it was like a blast from the past, just reconnecting with him. Um, And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening. Tune in for more Bootstrap Bitch.